Hi, doggy. I'm not responding to that. <laughs> Hello, everyone. There you go. Um, Hi, babe. I want to start ending our podcast by saying I love you. Not to each like other. Like the tile coach? Yeah, like like all the, the media that you recommend <laughs> to me, uh-huh. it shares one thing in common, whether it's somebody showing you how to like retile your bathroom or talk uh-huh. about politics or whatever. At the end of any video or podcast, they always say, love you. Right. I think we should do that too. Mm-hmm. You know, we put that to the test this past week too because the tile coach was on vacation in Mexico. Mm-hmm. First of all, he, I mean, it's YouTube, right? So you have to clickbait as much as possible. He's getting sucked into the... He's he's in Mexico world. on vacation, and he just makes a quick couple-minute video about the tile work at the hotel he's staying at, and he titles it, Do Mexicans Do Good Tile Work? Oof. And Mexicans is in all cap. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. But I clicked on it to watch, and it was only a couple minutes long. And Julie, Julie was like, oh, does he say I love you at the end of this? And I'm thinking it's like it's just a quick vacation thing. I bet he no. doesn't. Sure enough, he at the very end, I love you. I love being your tile coach. Da, da, da. He goes right along through the whole and thing. And that makes the whole Mexican fiasco <laughs> like a distant memory. Well, I mean, the whole says, video was about how amazing the tile work is and the craftsmanship is. But yeah, it's a very funny title. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's see what that does for us. Okay. Um. So it's been it's been a bit. Happy New Year. Yeah, a couple weeks. Did you get COVID after the New Year, or was it between Christmas and the New Year? It was between Christmas and the New Year. Right. Because so everyone had COVID for the New Year for that's New Year. That's right. New Year yeah. we so did we all had to the quarantine. Zoom, mm-hmm. the Zoom thing, which. Every, I don't know if it's just my age or is it just the New Year celebrations themselves have just gotten like weaker and weaker over the, is it just me getting older that I just care less and less about the New Year? Oh, well, yeah, I guess. I've never cared about New Year's. It's never been a, the only time I ever felt any sort of way about New Year's was Y2K. And it was just like, (laughs) what's going to happen? You know what I mean? And then nothing happens. I and that probably, if anything, is like, was the start of it all. It's like, if this, if nothing happens on this, why am I going to stay up for 2001 to 2002? Who cares? I imagine you on like a bat with nails. <laughs> <laughs> please do it. Please do it. Y2K. Please, please. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels less and less, um, like, number one, it definitely feels less of an accomplishment. Like, I remember feeling like a kid being like, the end of the year felt like a significant. Yeah. I mean, it can, for for some people, it can definitely be like a. Oh, God. Excuse me. Like I, a, I thought we'd make it 2023 <laughs> with no burps. That's the, the last one. You know what? That'll be my last one. Um, yeah, first off, you're not surprised by those, right? No. Okay. Just it's. I can see it for some people. It can definitely be like, uh, I mean, that's what the whole new year's resolution thing is. Right. Where it's like, this is going to be, uh, uh, this is my clean slate. 
I'm, I'm using this to like start whatever good habit I want to start. Mm. But I'm not ever able to do that when it comes to anything. But eating habits, losing weight. For me, it's like it it's six to 12 months of telling myself every single day, this is the day you start your thing and then never doing it. And then magically I'm three weeks into actually doing it. I have no idea when it started and it's just like, okay, I just need to keep rolling with this because I've been doing it for so some amount of time. I don't know how long it just kind of started out of nowhere, but I've never been able to be like, I'm starting on this day. This is the, this is the day I'm doing it. This is the day it starts. And, Blah, blah, blah. It either just starts organically or it doesn't. Yeah. Like, it's doomed to fail if you have a set start. Right. I, um, I don't, yeah, I don't do, like, New Year's resolutions. I am doing a New Year, um, experiment. Okay. I'm trying to spend the entire year back-talking authority figures under (laughs) my breath. Okay. (laughs) And just seeing what that does uh, for me so anytime like if my boss is like hey can you make sure to submit your timesheet like sure and then oh, i'll no. always yeah i'll mumble like asshole <laughs> all right <laughs> and and anytime i see a cop i'll just mutter and so what is your stance though if they if they hear you do you say immediately double down? You're just like oh, no, nothing. Immediately apologize, deny. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. This is this is purely just to see what <clears throat> muttering it to myself will do to my psyche and maybe my sure self worth. Like maybe I'll just get to the end of the year and think I'm a Superman, mm-hmm. best thing ever. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I'll start saying out loud. Right. And then we can. Follow that journey. See, see <laughs> yeah. what that does to my life. Yeah. I kind of feel like my life is at a open point. It's like a lump of clay and it can be whatever, whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So why not start it with a, with a fierce anti-authoritarian streak and doing it in like you, like you got to build up to it. You know what I mean? I can't just be saying things directly to authority figures, but if I, you know, if I mutter it. Yeah. It's like The Secret. Right. Which, there's a podcast. I think I talked to you about it. I, I've been listening to it. I think there's like four episodes now. But they cover like widespread cultural. Oh, thing. right. If books could kill. They if haven't released something in a while. Exactly. They just <clears throat> released one on The Secret. Oh, okay. Which I thought was really really great. And they, um, have you listened to it before? I've listened to all of them up until this one. They're, on the they're really good, right? Mm-hmm. It's it And it. It shines a light on, I remember when I was a kid, looking at Freakonomics being like, wow, these people are so smart, you know? Mm-hmm. I, if only one day I could be as smart as these people. And then you get older and you realize like, oh, that's a bunch of crap. Um, but when you're younger, you don't have the tools to evaluate it, right? You just read it and you're like, okay, I guess that's true. Yeah, you know? right. And I also realized one of the biggest mistakes that I made growing up was I thought I could be right. I thought that there were people who were right in the world and people who were wrong. And I wanted to be a person who was right. So I remember watching movies sometimes and being like, oh, did I like it or not? I don't know. I mm-hmm. need to, let me hear or read what this person thought of it mm-hmm. because they're smarter than me. They're right. And then, yeah, you get old and you realize like, oh, no, no one's right or wrong. In fact, probably everyone's wrong. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a better assumption to go with that. Yeah. So they, they talk about the secret and they're reading little blurbs from it. But this one, I just <clears> can't <throat> get out of my head. Uh, especially because I think, and we've talked about it, like I'm trying to be a little more healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not doing anything drastic, but I'm just like, hey, um, you know, now I've tipped into my 40s. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to be more aware of stuff. And um, they get to a section on losing weight. And like legitimately in the book, it's like, you are fat because you think fat thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> like that's verbatim, you know? Yeah. And they even mentioned like you can have slow thyroid or whatever. That's all masking for fat thoughts. <laughs> wow. You need to think thin <laughs> thoughts and you need uh-huh. to lose weight without thinking that you need to lose weight or else you're gonna have to work double as hard. Yeah. Because you're putting out there into the universe. And if you think any if thoughts, it cancels it all out. You can't say if something will happen, it has to be. And if you question how any of this works, it'll cancel itself out so you can't question how this stuff works. You just have to believe it's like so barefaced, a mass marketing scheme, Mm -hmm. like multiple ones shoved into one another that you're both like, how did this get so popular? And I know exactly how it got so popular. What a stupid message. Yeah. 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 That's like the, that's like the blueprint to make a psychopath when you can't, you're not allowed to think certain things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oof. Like, yeah, thought police, but in a, and and then they talk a little bit on the podcast how it's basically like a blanket, like you're able to then say, well, all charity is bad. Any kind of benevolence that mm-hmm. I feel for other people is bad because if I feel sorry for somebody, it's their fault because mm-hmm. they're not thinking rich thoughts and they're not thinking <laughs> thin thoughts. You know what I mean? They're not manifesting the right thing. So I don't need to look out for them. Yeah. I just need to focus on my thoughts, you know? And th- there's another little thing where they reference another book in, in the book, but basically the claim is Moses and Jesus and like another religious figure were all millionaires. Mm-hmm. Because the idea is if everything is controlled by your thoughts, including poverty and weight and stuff, you can't have people who are super famous and elevated who are counter your message, which is this poor person. You know what I mean? Like Gandhi or Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, they were poor. How'd they get so famous? No, they were millionaires. Mm-hmm. So you just like rewrite it to fit your narrative. Yeah. No, they were rich. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get that? Don't even worry about it. And, and apparently in the book, they reference another book to justify it. And the book is called like Millionaires of the Bible. Like just a track that probably a wacko right. wrote in yeah. a cabin. They're like, no, see, this guy researched it. Believe yeah. it. So yeah, it's a good podcast. It's a really it's it's just an interesting look at like for me the things that maybe I was maybe I could have fallen into. It also made me realize like there is a universe out there where you and I are talking right now on this podcast, and the number one thing we can't wait to talk about is this um you know M and M campaign where all the M and Ms are email yeah, and, right. all like empowered <laughs> yeah. and how furious we are that yeah now there's a fat m&m this is ridiculous <laughs> yeah. you know uh there's a narrative out there where i'm like big on freakonomics or the secret made sense to me mm-hmm. um yeah luckily i'm i'm too cynical or yeah <laughs> to believe in it <clears throat> um what's some other stuff that 
have you um how far into Curse the Bunny are you? I've listened to the first so I downloaded it, I listened to the first story, and then every other time that I normally listen to like I usually listen to excuse me, audiobooks at night before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. I've tried to listen to the next story. Yeah, not a. This is not a good before bed. It's not good before bed. Book. So I <laughs> haven't been able to get over the second. Like yeah. I'm getting into this, and I just haven't been able to to pull the trigger. I feel <clears throat> like for me, I wish I would have ordered a hard co- copy. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would be a book that I would have read easier physically than listening yeah. to, but. If I were you, I would refund. I would get my credit back. Why? It, it's I finished it. Uh, it's just it, I didn't really care for it. The first two story, the first story is the first two stories are disgusting. Like mm-hmm, I told you, mm-hmm. the first one is super gross, but I loved it. I thought it was a great little short story, very creative about yeah. a woman who over decades shits out her own clone basically <laughs> and then the clone climbs out of the toilet and shoves her into the toilet <laughs> um the second one is is very is pretty similar but it's more the the entire book is kind of about um it has like a female slant to it which mm-hmm. is great but I I can't relate to a lot of that stuff. Mm. The second one's all, all about pregnancy. There's one that is very much about like the mother daughter relationship, mm. which you know I can get things out of out of all of that. Um, but after that, there's there's like an um, like a robot AI one. They're all also very re very short. Yeah. Um. And I think, too, because it's translated, I think it's mm. Korean, right? The writing style itself is not really doing much for me. It's it's very dry and straightforward, which is fine, but it just is not that interesting. Um, and it's very easy to just return stuff on Audible and get mm-hmm. your credit back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what I did. I listened to... Um, I listened to half of the people's history of the United and States returned it. and I returned it <laughs> because I told you I was trying to power through it as much as I don't like history stuff. I was just going to force myself to, you know, eat my vegetables or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't do it. I got 16 hours in and I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not listening to another 16 hours of this. I get the point. I know everything about America is bad and was founded on bad things. And this has not been enlightening for me at all. And I'm really just forcing myself to listen to it. And it's not pleasant. Um, Did you look into Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow at all? A little bit. It it seems a little too uh, soap opera-y for me. All I know is the general premise, but it got so (laughs) many good reviews. Yeah, And it's been a while. Like It kind of gave me the feel of like super sad true love story mm-hmm. or um what's the uh who's the guy who wrote anyway another there are like a group of authors that I was really into around that time mm-hmm. 
And um, I haven't read a, like a dramatic, but kind of bouncing off of an interest of mine, like video games in a while. That's not like horror or like mm-hmm. genre. So I downloaded that. I haven't started that. And I'm trying to get through. I'm really trying to get, I'm trying to get through the Oppenheimer biography, which I'm right at the very end of. And it's uh-huh. very good. It's very good. Uh-huh. But also, I don't even remember downloading this. But when I was going through what books I've started, and like I told you, I'm trying to clear out a lot of the books that I've let go. I some I somewhere along the line got Alan Partridge's first book. We need to talk about Alan. Alan Partridge is the f- the f- fake comedy guy, right? Right. Okay. Um, and it's hilarious. But I was like, when did I get this? <laughs> right. I I, did I spend a credit on Alan Partridge? Yeah. Like, I thought it was free. Maybe it was free, but I looked up. It's like, it's a credit. Yeah. So I was like, did I grab this? Was it a free book at some point? I hope it was. I hope I didn't spend a credit. <laughs> Use a credit on the but, Alan Partridge book. <laughs> <laughs> but it is good. So I'm like <coughs> flip-flopping between Oppenheimer and Partridge because I thought that would work well because they're both a biography and an autobiography mm-hmm. of a fake radio personality. Um so yeah, that's why I'm reading and then and then yeah, I oh, so I guess Cursed Bunny I, I will return and I'll just do tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yeah, I would recommend returning it if you really want to read it then buy get it from a library or yeah something. yeah I, I really like the first story like you said so if if it kind of ventures away from that like yeah i'll probably just do a library yeah i found out i live by a library do you yeah i, I didn't even know it, it <clears throat> does not look like a library <laughs> <laughs> i'll say that much it's a chesapeake library yeah uh. like that is a <clears throat> um, scary. before we get into this place rules have you watched Paul T. Goldman? So I've heard about it, and mm. I've heard mixed things. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> We've watched the first three episodes. It's great. What's it on again? Uh, Peacock. So this guy wrote a story about his life that he claims is true, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely absurd, his life. Crazy stuff happens in it. Yeah. He has a mail-order bride who then becomes a doctor. Yes. Um, just like all this stuff. <laughs> and he gets the director of... Jason Walliner. Bor- Borat, Borat. The Borat sequel. He's uh, he's like a big Best Show guy. Right. His brother's calling the Best Show all the time. He's been on the Best Show a couple times. That's mainly how I know him. But yeah, he did the Borat sequel and he did he's done other stuff, not just the Borat sequel. And the <clears> thing <throat> that I struggle with is like... Nate. I didn't know who he was mm-hmm. necessarily who made it. And I think that's the key for me is like Nathan Fielder, John Wilson, not so much. I, mm-hmm. I, I love his stuff, but Nathan Fielder walks a really fine line of like stuff that I enjoy thinking about, but rarely do I enjoy watching. And I don't like, I don't like watching people be kind of, confronted with their own like right stupidity or you know especially me not knowing the person like the thing that really turned me off maybe you can help me with this is is paul t goldman mentally ill 
Right. No, that's not what this show is at all. Okay. Okay. Um, it is definitely in. It's in the vein of the Nathan Fielder stuff, just because. I think there's six total episodes. I think there's only four. I like that. I think there's only, only thirty minutes. Four. Right? Yeah, there's only four out. And we've watched the first three. <clears throat> and it, it's been fr- the way I heard about it is a lot of people made it sound like, man, it's really trippy. You don't know what's blah, blah, blah. It's pretty straightforward from the beginning. And we're, we've gotten to a point now where I'm starting to kind of question like what is real and what isn't um, in terms of like the grand scheme of everything. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's so this guy, Paul T. Goldman, reached out to Jason Woliner on Twitter and said, I, I have this crazy life story. I've written a screenplay about it, and I want you to direct the movie. He also sent it to like 100 people, right? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, he like sent it to a <laughs> bunch of people. That would make sense because it does not make sense for him to just reach out to Jason Walliner of all people. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, <clears throat> but, yeah, the guy is definitely not mentally ill. Okay. He's just kind of a goofball. He seems a little naive. And the this, this story is not so crazy to be unbelievable. But you're we're now getting to a point in the show where it's like the, the first episode is very straightforward where that's the premise, right? The premise is you've you're watching scenes of them filming his screenplay how he wants it to be filmed um you're and you also get scenes of like footage of like on set so you get scenes of them filming the movie that he wants to be made and then you also get like documentary like uh front facing talking moments where he's talking straight to the camera or the actors in the show are talking to the camera um, or the real, like his real life lawyer is talking to the camera who's been through all of this with him. Uh, But now, you know, halfway through the season, you start to question, you get little fissures and there's little moments where, you know, Wolner or someone else, as they're filming something, will be like, it, did this really happen? And <coughs> Goldman will kind of take a beat, and he's like, well, I may have embellished this a little bit, but the the major stuff is is real. Absolutely, the major stuff happened. And that starts happening more and more, so I feel like we it might be going into that sort of Nathan Fielder territory where you're like, wait a minute, how much of this is how much of just the core concept of this is as it's been presented is true. Is this Paul T. Goldman guy just a completely made up character and the whole thing is fake? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's great. I, I liked it. Okay. Uh, and it, and for me that, that stuff as we've talked about has always been my issue with the Nathan Fielder stuff is it feels a little too close to like just making fun of people. Yeah, I had a story of somebody that I ran into at a previous job who, it was a fun story to talk about, and they they are quite the character, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of things to find out about this person. But I don't know if it was you, but somebody 
when I was telling the story one time or afterwards or something, or I made a reference to it. And again, it might've been you, but they were like, you know, she's probably like mentally ill. Right. And it really then made me consider about how I talk about that story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It is outrageous. (laughs) It's wild. (laughs) There's so much to look at and like gawk over Mm -hmm. and mock. Um, but underneath it all, it could just be a truly mentally ill person who mm-hmm. needs help. And I'm the one like, well, look what they did yeah. last week. Um, so <coughs> yeah, that, that, that's the thing that I always then think about, but hearing that you make him sound like he has more agency than I forget who I was listening to talk about it. Um, but they made it sound like. This guy's not well. Yeah, and it, yeah, I, I don't think I agree with that. He definitely has made mistakes, and he's seen. That's the other thing about it too. That there's the other other another. There's another thing about it that that makes me question is like the money aspect of it. He seems to have a lot of money, but it's never really explained how he has so much money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there's and, and maybe that person has like watched the whole thing and has a better feel for it than I do. I, I think the other comparison I would make is like the Joe Schmo show. Right. Which we've talked about before. I don't feel like it's that where it's like everyone is in on this joke that this one guy is not in on. It seems like everybody is kind of like doing their best to um, to represent his screenplays like as closely as he and they're like doing it earnestly and all this. And then the and there's also a moment in this third the third episode we just watched where it's like one thing that he does is um he, he invite Paul Goldman invites the real people onto the set to mm-hmm. give notes of the act of the acting thing of how the actors are doing and in one of the auditions he brings his mail order bride ex wife to the audition. And then at some point, maybe it's Wallner, somebody suggests like they're having all these actresses read through their, um, essentially their divorce scene, their breakup scene. And then someone's like, do you want to, why don't you um, act it out how you felt it played for you? You know what I mean? And then they just have this really bizarre, like, where they're reenacting this confrontation that broke up their marriage. It's it's really strange. <laughs> it made me feel weird, but not in like an exploitative way. It right. just is, was strange. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I just finished. I don't know if it was on Peacock or Paramount plus, but I watched on YouTube, mm-hmm. a show called players. Uh-huh, they yeah. mentioned to you mm-hmm. and it's from the people who made American Vandal one and two, which I loved American Vandal. Right. Uh, both seasons. And it's like, Esports fake, like it uses League of Legends, but it's all a mockumentary. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Like I really enjoyed it. And again, thirty minute episodes. There's ten episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished that, so I'll 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 probably watch it tonight. Yeah, start. I think time. I thought it was great. Julia um really likes it too. Okay. All right. Uh, so this place rules. 
the Channel 5 All Gas No Breaks HBO documentary. Mm-hmm. That is, I would say, loosely about um, January 6th. Mm-hmm. It's more or less a feature-length long YouTube video. Yeah, and, it, it, and it's almost like a compilation of some of the other videos that they've already put out. Yeah. Um, you know, it's billed as this sort of the January 6th documentary, but I never really felt like it had that much of a... Uh, a narrative thrust? Yeah. Towards, it's, yeah. Like I said, it's just like a... It's just like, w- what would that be? T- ten... Uh, 10 YouTube videos <laughs> strung together, basically. Um, it was somebody who was tenuous, tenuously around these groups and these people leading up to January 6th, but wasn't necessarily profiling them with any yeah. like particular rigor or direction, just kind of experiencing it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think, too, the, the one thing that... Um, well, I guess we should also mention that Andrew Callahan has now been, I would say, credibly accused of being a sex pest, basically. And I haven't looked into it, but I saw something else that said, like, he admitted it. Like, he's, yeah. not, mm-hmm. he's not trying to, like, explain. He, right. I think he's trying to be like, yes. From, yeah, from what I saw, he admitted it, and he's already um, doing, it checked himself into some sort of treatment or something. I don't know. If he's if he's a creep, which it very much sounds like he's a creep, then he needs to address that. Um, but the 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 biggest issue that I have with, I guess, him and the whole thing, it you know the the Channel Five stuff is very entertaining. We've talked about this before, I think, where it's like it can get very depressing and hard to watch, very dark, like consecutively. Mm-hmm. Um. But I also don't think it's ever had any like like a very strong message. And I think that applies for this documentary as well. It's it, it's kind of walking a line of like I guess the uh like gonzo journalism stuff and I feel like he's it, it seems like his intent is to be like hey, I'm just showing I'm just showing the people for how they are or whatever and letting that be the commentary. But he doesn't actually do that because there's the editing is also doing a lot of work Mm -hmm. to like mock everybody that's in it. So it's not this like completely impartial um, perspective. Yeah. Perspective of of who they're interviewing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like and. We've talked about this before, and I wrote this down before, you know, all this stuff came out about him, too. But he never struck me as a uniquely political no. figure yeah. or anybody who had a political identity or perspective. More, he always struck me as someone drawn to the fringes of society mm-hmm. and just kind of recording it, you know, and having that record speak for itself. But then there's also a weird relationship that he develops with the people, which I I think is what sets him apart, is there's a relationship, not just access, mm-hmm. where on almost any video, you're left wondering, how do you get backstage? Like, mm-hmm. How, 
who does he know that whenever he shows up to a music festival or wherever, he's always backstage or on the stage. Right. Um, so he, he has weird access, but also, um, he like engages these people. So I watched probably a more focused documentary. He did a whole long series on the QAnon shaman. Mm-hmm. Did you watch that Mm-mm. like a while ago? I mean, he like the guy with prison. the fur. Th- yeah, I watched some. I I know I've watched some of it. I don't know if I watched everything. It's like forty five minutes. It's like yeah. a legit documentary. Mm-hmm. He has like an interview with them. But at the end, the QAnon shaman's like, "Hey, I want to, I want to, you know, record music or something." And Andrew Callan's like, "Sweet man, yeah, I can make that happen. I'm mm-hmm. excited. I'd I'd love to work with you." And you get the feeling like, yeah, he means that. You know, what I mean, like he yeah. Will, he will produce the QAnon Shaman <laughs> right. rap album. You know what yeah. I mean? And so <clears throat> what what's that relation? Like what what is the intention behind that? Mm-hmm. Is it to like mock the QAnon Shaman? Is it to like support this man's efforts towards something that maybe could be more positive in his life? Mm-hmm. That's not just like get deeper into Q, but get out there then and i feel like no he just wants to be a part of the fringe he, you know th- yeah there, there's the twins too that right you know he, they still put out stuff by them and mm-hmm. again you watch his stuff and you're like okay okay i mean i i don't know what <laughs> yeah it, it seems like he's found a, a shtick and the the sort of the defense of it is um is kind of like I'm just I'm just you, you know letting these people kind of speak for themselves in like a in like a condemnation way and but but I'm supporting their expression. Well, yeah, but also like with the Alex Jones stuff which I guess we can talk about is like showing him for the buffoon he is, right? Which is the impression which is what he's trying to do the impression I get from the NPR interview and the different stuff I've heard him say, but the the problem I have with that is, and at one point I probably would have agreed with that, but the problem I have with that is that like that's been pretty clearly shown to like not work. Like the idea of like um, sunlight is the best disinfectant or whatever, right. just put it all out in the public is like, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work. Like Donald Trump would not be as popular as he was if that were true, because for six or eight years, he had the largest platform. He had the most sunlight of anybody in the world and it only made his support stronger. Mm -hmm. Like, so you can't just put that stuff out there and then be like, yeah, see how dumb that guy is. No, you have to like be able to like push back on it. So you can't just sit there with Alec Jones and let him spout off, and sound like an idiot and not ever push back on it because to me, yeah, he sounds like an idiot. But to the like millions of people, it's, it sounds like the guy that they support. You know what I mean? And that brings in more people. Yeah. The, the other problem <clears throat> is if you did something that the NPR person would feel more comfortable with, that also doesn't bear fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if he had sat down to like an honest talking head interview, which he does in the documentary where he confronts the guy about his right. 
mm-hmm. his past and his charges um, of uh, just it wasn't pedophilia straight up, right? It, Child pornography or whatever. No, he, he exposed himself. Ex- exp- yeah, maybe. Yeah, something to do with kids. But he can he confronts that guy. Yeah, out outright. So that that is a more kind of structured interview technique. But what's he gonna do? to alex jones mm-hmm. you know either he lets alex jones show him his workout routine and his playlist and shows him like drinking alcohol and lifting weights mm-hmm. or yeah he sits there and says you said this about sandy hook and then alex jones says well his <laughs> out context and then, yeah you know, whatever so and then he has no more access to alex jones and he has no more access and and he and he spent it all on another talking head interview mm-hmm. that did less than nothing at least now we have this footage of alex jones being a buffoon sure and you can do a lot more with that maybe that's the other thing too is like <clears throat> andrew callahan is speaking more to the moment where the things that he captures can be better <clears throat> spread through the internet than again a standard talking head mm-hmm. interview like you can memeify Alex Jones working out and drinking and choking on. I mean, maybe that's what makes it so depressing is that I can watch that and be like, man, how is this guy so popular? And then everybody that loves Alex Jones watches that. And it's like, hell yeah, brother. You know what I mean? Like they they love it. Yeah. And it, he's even more popular than ever. It's just like, and so there's like, there's nothing you could do about it. It's so depressing. Yeah, it, I feel like in the in the levels of if I group people together and, and Andrew Callahan and all that, it's like Andrew Callahan feels like a man documenting the fringe that has overlapped with politics by happenstance. That mm-hmm. we are just at a unique moment when the fringe is, you know, interacting with the mainstream through politics. It's just who knew that that was going to be the crossover of the 2020s, mm-hmm. you know, but he absolutely is. And he in following the French has been brought into the politics. Then you have somebody like RM Brown, who's covering politics from a more fringe perspective. And I much more appreciate RM Brown's approach than even Andrew Callahan's approach or, the people that Andrew Callahan has been embraced by, like even Hassan and stuff like that, what they're doing is uniquely, feels uniquely for the internet, like uniquely for a specific audience of Twitch, YouTube mm-hmm. people that are younger than me. And I feel like my version is the RM Brown, which is a little more focused in what, the target is while also making them look buffoonish mm-hmm. and critiquing them from a political standpoint and not just a, I just let him be who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's my, that's my role. I think that's what you're saying is like, and I agree with you that if we're looking at it from a strictly political perspective, I'd much rather watch 15 hours of R.M. Brown, then this place rules. Mm -hmm. But as a document, I think this place rules has value. 
Yeah. That's my, I think that's my full take. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I enjoyed watching it. Um, I, there's just parts of it. And, you know, this is more about Channel 5 than it is about this specific documentary. There's just always an aspect to it that makes me feel a little gross. Um, but I do, uh, I do think it's, you know, important and meaningful that, you know, somebody like, Joker gang and gum gang mm-hmm. get a certain level of exposure. I'm not entirely sure why I feel that way. There are elements of, um, you don't really get that in, in this place rules. I guess their role is more, uh, they're more jokes. I feel like in the documentary, but mm-hmm. The, he's got a longer form stuff with is it the the tw- the twins who are in Florida the two white guys um i think they're in california normally but i think they were they they pop <coughs> up in this right for like a second or is that a channel 5 video it must be yeah i'm not sure but there's two um twins that they spend a lot of time with who you know, it starts off, it's also kind of like the Chet Hanks stuff, but the two twins they spend a lot of time with, and eventually, um, you know, they they become less characters and, and more humanized, and sort of you, you get a, a feeling for the situation they're in, and even though they have sort of no recognition of it, you can sort of see um, how our economy and mm-hmm. society has sort of forced people into these positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes these people who are typically um, sort of demonized a little bit more sympathetic. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I do like it for that. The other thing about, I think is specific to this place rules and kind of what he was focusing on a lot in his, um, when he was doing his promotional tour is he seems to be pushing this sort of, um, both sides stuff about the 24 hour news channels, CNN and Fox news, Mm -hmm. which I agree with to an extent, but I don't think, CNN is as bad as Fox News. And I think if you're like making that your target just to like make a point, you're like like I I'm on board that CNN and all that is is using the 24-hour news cycle to do whatever. They 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 um they play on people's fears. That's how you get people to keep watching blah blah blah. Fox News is literally dehumanizing an entire portion of the like, like, like they're, they're purposefully trying to, um, separate families from, from each other. I ideology, ideologically. Yeah. You know what I mean, like as an, a more pointed example, there was something on Fox news, maybe it was Tucker or something, um, where they were, specifically talking about how atheists are trying to take stuff away from Christians. Right. And it's, it's very obviously being like, they're trying to create a divide and they're trying to 
scare one population away from another portion of the population. You know what I mean? And as people who have in-laws who are highly religious, you know what I mean? I just feel like it's it's going to be a... They've never expressed anything like that, but I would imagine that sort of like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, their New Year's resolutions at some point, uh, they're going to start saying stuff under their breath. And I feel like they're not too far off from being like, we're going to have to guard ourselves from our atheist in-laws. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, And that to me seems so much more insidious and dangerous than just like, we have to keep people watching our news channel by making them afraid of the world. Yeah. I feel like it's a it's a thing that I wrestle with and I have not figured out how to think about it for myself. The easiest comparison I can make so I don't just redundantly say what you said is in film. So I follow a lot of people on Twitter, you know, who love film and Ari Aster's new movie is a good is a good uh, example. Mm-hmm. So Bo, Bo is Afraid. Bo is Afraid just released its first trailer a few days ago. I watch and I think that looks good. Like, what am I supposed to think after a trailer? It's mm-hmm. it, you know nothing about what the movie's going to be, but the trailer looks interesting. Looks yeah. good. Then I open up Twitter and it's just full of people who are like anyone but Ari Aster or whatever. If I, if I look at their history, it's like cinema's dying. Cinema's dying. <laughs> I feel like Ari Aster comes by. And he's like, here, this is original. And they're like, we don't need your help. Yeah. And, and there's this pushback against, I'm not saying that stuff is like high art or like, I love movies, but they're still movies. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I watch everything everywhere all at once. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. It's fine. And then people are just like, this is cancerous, or they're they're trashing or Ryan Johnson as a figure, mm-hmm. right? Just as a person. They like hate Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be like, can we tone it down a little bit? Yeah. Like, come on. There's like Marvel and then there's like Ryan Johnson, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There's Disney, and then there's Ari Aster. Like, these are not the same. Mm -hmm. Like, can we please just have some balance? Because, I, you know, and then everything that's white noise, hate white noise, sucks, terrible, Mm -hmm. awful. Babylon, childish. That guy's never done coke in his life. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what being on coke is like. (laughs) And you're like... I don't know what your target is anymore. And it feels like that with Andrew Callahan, stuff like that, where it's like 24-hour news cycle, blah. Mm -hmm. It's like, absolutely, the 24-hour news cycle is the beast. Mm -hmm. That's the big thing that needs to be slain. Is it ever going to be slain, especially now that we have a, not 24-hour news cycle, how many seconds are in a day? Because that's what Twitter does. Mm-hmm. It's just like a constant update of whatever and challenging narratives and stuff like that. You're not going to stop the 24-hour news cycle. So, like, I understand, yeah, CNN sucks, MSNBC sucks, and in terms of, like, I think what these people would say is, we hate Ari Aster, we hate Ryan Johnson so much because they are seen as the counter-programming. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So the fact that they are counter-programming to Marvel and all that shit, we hate them more because they're, they've been elevated. They're the centrist, mm-hmm. which is what I think they're, they're furious about is that CNN or especially MSNBC that like marketed as the left-leaning right. site, you watch and you're like, this isn't left-leaning. Like right. this is... This is almost right leaning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I get I get it. And that's that's the thing that I keep struggling with is like I didn't know what the perspective was until I tasted like Bernie Sanders loss the second time. Mm-hmm. Like in 2016, I voted Sanders mm-hmm. in, in the primary. But when he didn't win the primary. I was like, okay, well, you know, gotta be Hillary, I guess. Mm-hmm. Then 2020 comes around, and I actually like campaigned for him. I actually like cold called. I actually like did some stuff, mm-hmm. little, but I was more invested than I've ever been. And I actually like bought into the message, mm-hmm. and I actually thought he had a chance. Then when he lost, I got a feeling of what it must be like to actually care about the right things in politics and lose for 30 years. Right. What that must do to your psyche is devastating. Mm -hmm. So I also want to balance the fact that, yeah, I'm a, I'm a tourist. I love film, but I don't love film. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I, I don't know it in and out. And for someone who does love, love film and know the real stuff that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for them to look at Ryan Johnson, they might be like, this guy sucks. But yeah. for me, I go, my son liked it, and I had a good time watching mm-hmm. it. So <clears throat> that's that stuff where it's like, yeah, I I agree with you, and then I can also see the alternate side that's like, yeah, CNN and MSNBC don't deserve any recognition. Like, they, they deserve nothing, mm-hmm. even as, yeah, Fox News, I completely agree, is far more damaging, far more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if I wonder if like Andrew Callahan, I wonder if they would disagree with that. Yeah, I, I, he's yeah. Part part of part of it just seems so contrarian. Like you said, it's just you just have to like counter the counter almost at a certain point. It's interesting when you think about like I didn't listen to his Infowars like segment Mm -hmm. but again it's like you go on cnn you blast them you go on Infowars, but again it's it's the approach right what's he gonna do by being like hey alex i'm gonna confront you on Infowars." like he's not gonna he's not gonna do anything Mm -hmm. so based on the documentary it it felt like his Infowars, you know um segment was basically him quietly sitting there and and saying yeah. what Alex Jones tells him to say, but not necessarily engaging or like confronting. Right. I guess part of the problem too, though, is like Alex Jones. Alex Jones is c- clearly what Alex Jones needs to survive is attention and exposure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big proponent of like you can't platform these people you know what i mean but at the same time it's like man this guy's stuck around for so long 
just because he keeps getting attention. Like, can we just fucking forget Not about Alex Jones? Who attention. cares about this guy anymore? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. I do think deplatforming works. Mm-hmm. I know there's like debate about that. I know some even progressive people don't support that. They support like let people have a platform and just ignore their message. Mm-hmm. But I think it's been proven that these people are driven by a grift that's paying. Right. If you cut the supply. Yeah, for sure. It actually has an effect. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for like deplatforming these people. And I think part of that is yeah, don't cover them. Right. Know? Don't mention them. Yeah. And ban them from Twitter, YouTube, Make them fund themselves on their weird little Patreons or Mm -hmm. whatever. Let them create their own uh, (laughs) right-wing parlor. Yeah. Loser, you know, platforms. Create their own right-wing GoDaddy. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't GoDaddy right-wing, though? (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about, did we answer some of the specific? We we had a conversation with um, Yespo. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think all of that was answered in our emails. Okay, did we do a good job? The one thing that I want to say, because I know that that um, he asked about exploitation, and I thought it was interesting that, right. the, that the documentary <clears throat> starts off with Andrew Callian talking about how he first went viral, which was interviewing people yeah. when they're clearly drunk, mm-hmm. confessing stuff. And one of the confessions that I remember is a guy being like, I lost my virginity to my cousin. <laughs> and you, you just feel like, who owns this yeah. material anymore? Right. And do you feel at all, do you know him? Did he sign off that yeah. he's going to open a HBO documentary when he's <laughs> clearly inebriated? He's going to scream yeah. into a microphone. Like that feels exploitative. Yeah. It immediately made me think of like, um, the guy who's in prison now, like the um, the girls gone wild guy, mm-hmm. isn't that the same basic issue that they came under? Like the consent that you, you number one, you didn't ask for consent. Mm-hmm. The consent you got was by inebriated people who right. could not give clear consent, and then you went off and sold that stuff. Like to me, it feels the same thing. Like if I'm interviewing a drunk person, I feel like that's inherently exploitative because they're not aware of all that they're saying mm-hmm. and i'm just trying to go viral yeah it's like say something crazy <clears throat> that you'll that you'll never regret right yeah i think i think it's part of too like the nathan fielder stuff almost where it's like it's presented in it's just presented in such like a winky eye way where it's like you know that we're obviously supposed to be laughing at these people but it's but but the person who's creating it can point to it and just be like, oh no, this I'm just letting them talk. I'm not asking them any questions. You know what I mean? Like his whole thing is that he just stands there and let them t- lets them talk into the microphone. But it's very obviously edited in a way, and you know, specific things are taken out of context. To and some of these people are just crazy, right? Mm-hmm. I get that. Um. But it, there's definitely an element of exploitation to it. But like I said, I do think they do a good job with, like with the twins where if you watch enough of it and there is stuff in there where it, it can paint a sympathetic picture 
or maybe even not sympathetic, but like just the, like a nuanced, uh, you know, fully figured picture of, of what, of what, you know, has led to these people to be the way they are. Um, yeah. The, the one thing I wanted to say about that too is it also, they work as a counterbalance to the people that the January 6th people even would dismiss mm-hmm. those people stupid. They're dumb. They're crazy. Meanwhile, in the documentary, what, what's the one guy, the who tattooed his face? What's he Joker gang, Joker gang, mm-hmm. Joker gang is watching the January 6th people. And he's like, yeah, they just want attention. Yeah. You know what I mean, like he in some way sees the game clearer than they do. Like, he's just trying to get attention, just like they are. Trying to get, you know, um, yeah, j- just like you said, Alex Jones feeds on attention. So does Joker Gang, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but Joker Gang, in some ways, is more aware. And these people are just being led by the nose by people like Alex Jones mm-hmm. and all that. And, and the last thing I will say is the documentary, I think, is strongest when it does show Alex Jones as being someone who is also aware enough to know when to distance himself. Mm-hmm. That he wants to ferment ferment this stuff and then immediately back off. And that's exactly what Tucker Carlson does mm-hmm. and all these other people. Yeah. Ben Shapiro. And again, they're doing it from big things and little things. They're getting you worked up about trans people and LGBTQ people. And they're also getting you worked up about M&Ms. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just a constant outrage cycle. Um, and it's exhausting, and I just can't imagine that anybody honestly cares about these issues, but they just get hammered into their head so much that you're forced to care, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I also wrote one thing, a late-night quote from myself. Okay. I wanted to read to you. Let me know if this makes sense. Okay. Um, do you have any last thoughts about the documentary no okay i i barely remember writing this but i remember not being able to fall asleep in like 2 a.m and then i thought of this and i wrote it in my notes real quick okay. on my phone and then i went to sleep i want pancakes um hamburger this was me after thinking about this documentary mm-hmm. and like what a takeaway would be and i think this was my takeaway we have to keep our country gate. <laughs> I think everyone has a nervous breakdown in their life. Now we get to watch it or feel connected to other people who are having having it and our minds never realize it's supposed to be temporary. Wait a minute, what was the last part? And in and our minds never realize it's supposed to be oh the the breakdown is supposed to be temporary. Right. That like you normally you have your midlife crisis or a nervous breakdown or mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's call it midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. You have your midlife crisis, but you have in the context of your family. Mm-hmm. And again, either you break off from your family and go do your own thing or your family, your community helps you process it, helps you through it. The problem now is I can go through my midlife crisis, jump on YouTube or whatever and see someone else being like, <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we need to like right. storm the Capitol. This yeah. is this is crazy. No, 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 you're not crazy. Right. The world is crazy. And it just 
elongates this <clears throat> this crisis mm-hmm. moment. And there's no community there to help you through it because you now plug into a larger community that is basically just fueling your your breakdown or your mm-hmm. your misconceptions or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I had a I guess a somewhat of a similar thought after watching it which I've since in my own mind backed away from. And this is probably more relates more to a Joker gang and gun, gum gang than mm-hmm. anything else from the documentary. But I in, in in certain moments can feel very strongly that social media has completely destroyed the world. Yeah. Just all of it. Yeah. Um, it just, and I think to, to that point, it's, it's allowed us to network in a way that probably should not be possible. That, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, think about how <coughs> destructive, follow this, this thinking. Mm-hmm. I get old and I think the previous generation are lazy layabouts and they don't work as hard as my generation. I have children who I then express this feeling to and they go, Hey dad, let me, um, let me tell you about the last three job interviews I went on and let me tell you about my experience. And I have to listen to it. I have Mm -hmm. to think about it. I have to confront it. And I'm swayed. I'm like, um, I'm engaging my children, my community, and realizing what their experience is, right, in a in a more tangible way. Then I think the previous generation is lazy or whatever. I then watch three hours of YouTube. I watch <laughs> Tucker Carlson. I watch all these people say, yes, yes, they are right. entitled. Yes. It's their fault. They're not working hard enough. Blah, 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 blah. Then I go to my children. And I say, you, you're entitled. They try to tell me how challenging their lives are. And I just say, that no, because look at all this stuff. And you just get sent all these links mm-hmm. and videos and all this stuff that has helped convince that older person that no, they are right. They're correct. Yeah. It's the young people who are wrong. That's all social media. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just helps you plug in and never have to deal with the people in your life because you're just constantly being reassured by millions of strangers that you're right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to hear. Yeah. You, you, no, you're right. They're wrong. Okay. Um do we want to do this? Yes, because I put work in. This is, <laughs> okay. This is going I'll to bear you, fruit. I'll let you introduce it then. <laughs> you can buy them with your credit card or crypto. <laughs> I had a, um, I had an idea because we were wondering what we were going to, well, not we, I was wondering what we were going to talk about going into the new year. We could do a 2022 retrospective um really quick i want to shout out maybe some end of the year stuff the english was a tv show on amazon prime yeah i watched the english is it new yeah it's 2022 um i tried looking that up maybe it was because i had covid but i could not find 
what I thought you were. I mean, the English is such a generic name. Yeah. But I want to see what I want to look in your search <laughs> and see what got put in there. The all the misspellings, but um, the English um I really loved surprised me. Um, white noise. Um, yeah. I got you to watch that when you were on COVID. Uh-huh. Uh, man, I stand by it. I just think that that film is so much better than people think it is. The book is great. Um, so those are two things over the break that I watched that um, I wanted to share. But <laughs> I liked White Noise. I did not find it to be as confusing as some people. Maybe people were just trying to be like purposefully um obtuse or it did yeah. not seem confusing to me in terms of like what it was or what it was trying to do i yeah. s- someone on the indie subreddit um someone posted a link to the lcd sound system video for the song that's at the end of the movie which a lot of people on film twitter shit on oh really can you believe this was in a movie i'm like yeah i'd like i mean what are yeah. you guys talking about but go on um and one of the comments on the on the video was just like I hated this movie. I thought it was so stupid. And then he goes on to describe like everything that the movie is making fun of like or satirizing as if it's like endorsing those things. Mm-hmm. And then the end of his comment is like um something like I mean unless I just missed the whole point and they were making fun of those things. And it's like yeah, yeah, you missed the whole like they're making fun of those things. I, I and it does not it didn't seem like that uh dense to me, you know what yeah. I mean? I don't know. Maybe it was cuz I had read the book, maybe it's cuz I sort of I don't know, but watching the movie also made me realize I don't remember anything from that book. <laughs> I remembered the toxic cloud of it yeah. and that was it. <laughs> yeah, I I love that book, but um I thought the movie was really great, and I thought it it it, it made me think of Under the Silver Lake, mm-hmm. in the same way that people were like, "This movie sucks," and it it supports all the most terrible aspects of our society. And you watch Under the Silver Lake, and you're like, "No, it's satirizing it all." Mm-hmm. Don't you see what it's doing? Like, yeah, it's the same thing. Where I don't I don't understand, but anyway. Um, those are two things that I, I wanted to maybe talk about. But instead, I said, you know what? I want to do a uh, a year-long kind of check-in game. You know uh-huh. what I mean? That we can kind of track throughout the, throughout the year. So I designed a, well, I started to design a box office game mm-hmm. where... I we we joke about on here how I always do my anticipated list, my anticipated movies list, and it's always like 180 movies right. because I'll literally put everything. It's just every movie that comes out in the out. year, <laughs> and then because I always like to track it, and then I like to leave. Like right now, I know what I didn't watch from 2016, and I get to like look back at that list and be like, yeah, I'm, I have good taste. That sucks, right? You know, wherever. Um, but anyway, so. I, I do that, and then I kind of roughly organize it. I kind of rank it, so the top is the stuff I'm super excited about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Th- I'm going to use this work. I'm going to put this uh, t- to good use. So I started to make a list in this Google Doc and break it out by genre. 
Because mm-hmm. my idea was we're not just going to pick overall films. We have to pick, like, draft the movies in the different genres that we think are going to do two things. Make the most money and have the highest Metacritic average. Okay. So that's how you determine the winner. You want the movies that do both. Is there... What is the order of importance on that? Is it... Are we looking at the the movie that makes the most does you know what I mean? Are you are we sorting by most money exactly. first I and wait, then Metacritic score? I weight the Metacritic over the money made. Okay. Um because money, especially with COVID, everything's down. It's harder to predict how things and streaming. Some of these are gonna be just straight to streaming. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So uh so that that was my that was my conception. Not doing a weird you know, just box office thing or whatever, just what's going to have the highest score and the highest box office. And we don't do like 10 movies. We just pick like two from each genre. Mm -hmm. And then that's the game. As you can see, um, there's only one horror movie. (laughs) There's only one animated. Um, There's only one comedy. Uh And I don't... Is this is Bo is afraid supposed to be a comedy? Well, that was before the trailer, and <laughs> and, and, it, and it was kind of as a dark comedy. So that was yeah, kind of, kind I mean, I guess I could see that. So I've switched it to now just be overall, and I think we need to have three because okay. you need to have some variation. We can't just each pick one and have that be it. So I think for the year, we're going to do at the end average the Metacritic score and the box office from our three films and determine a winner. I will give you first pick because I also texted you and I was like, this is, this is roughly the idea I have. You may want to familiarize going for highest Metacritic score is weighted higher than box office, but box office is also factored in. Um, Think, think about it. Like, like some of these i don't know what they are exactly i in in out of good faith i will tell you (laughs) okay and this is not obviously this is not all from my list these are i think these are some of the 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 biggest ones of the year um i'm going to say oppenheimer is my number one i can see where your little thing was okay so your, your number one pick on the whole year for box office Metacritic, that's listed here, which I'll tell the, the listener, I didn't get to the Marvel movies. Um, so we're just going based on what actually made into the Google Doc at this point. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. My number one. Um, Can you pick the same as me? No. So once I t- once somebody picks it, it's off the board. Exactly. All right. Um, because honestly, that's probably. But I'm gonna go with Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. And I think I just won. Yeah, I guess I went with Oppenheimer because I f- I feel like the. Yeah, Oppenheimer is a bad choice because the box office, I feel like the box office for Oppenheimer is going to be nothing. Who wants to go see that movie? <laughs> Nobody. Did you hear what he did, though? He, like, detonated 
He like did a mini nuclear. Nobody explosion. cares. Nobody wants to go see a three-hour movie about. Jo- is it Joseph Oppenheimer? Who cares? Well, uh, but I figured it would have out of all of these probably the best Metacritic score. Exactly, and and I was gonna say like right now the way that I have it set up, it's like sixty forty. 60% to the Metacritic versus 40 for the box office. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, my, and my thinking is Mission Impossible is the good version of this where, like, sometimes I see critics, you know, I'm not going to say they pretend to like, but I see some critics like Fast and Furious, and I feel like that's them doing penance mm-hmm. for liking three-hour black-and-white foreign movies. Right, then they have to be like, but I love Fast, Fast Five. Right, you know, and it's like okay. Now, are all of these movies supposed to be good, or are there some duds in here? Like, what in the world is Blitz? <laughs> Blitz is um is a uh, crap. What's his? You know, you you ask me that, and I know his name. Um, and then I completely. Uh, blank. Uh, Steve McQueen. Um, so that's the that Steve McQueen. He did um, Widows, was his biggest movie. Um, Widows. Steve McQueen. Didn't he do the Slave movie? Yes, he did Twelve Years a Slave. Widows is bigger than that. I think box office. Well, you're 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 right. I mean, that's probably yeah. But but Widows was like his last big, and then he did. Um, Smaller films for like I think that was Amazon, but anyway, Blitz is like his World War Two. It's about the bombing of London, but from the guy who did Twelve Years a Slave, so probably uh, going to be critically acclaimed, but probably not make a lot of money. And Dune isn't Dune a streaming movie? No, now Warner Brothers. Okay. Who, who did, they're pulling back on the streaming exclusively. And so Dune, I think, is going to get a huge um, theatrical push. Okay, so Dune is my number two. Okay, probably a good pick. And that might be the thing that swings. You're, you're first and second. You having the first. And what is Civil War? Is that another Marvel thing? Civil War is the new film by um God, see, like now you ask me like these names, and I know them if I'm not on a podcast. Uh, but he's the guy who did men. Um Oh, um The Brother. Which which I like, and he wrote all of Danny Boyle's Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Alex Garland. Alex Garland. So that's his next movie, and he's keeping it under wraps. But judging by men, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Which I, I liked men. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with um, this might be a little bit of a reach, but I'm going to go with The Killer as my number two. Okay, and what's The Killer? The Killer is the new David Fincher movie. Written by the guy who wrote Seven. Oh, okay. So they're getting back together. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how David Fincher movies do, though. Yeah. Like Gone Girl, did that do great box office? But I think it's going to be well-reviewed. What is Megapolis? 
That's the new Francis Ford Coppola movie. Oh, that's right. What's Ferrari? Ferrari is the new Michael Mann movie coming out mm. about Ferrari. Mm. Um, There's Napoleon, which is the new Ridley Scott movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. What's Argyle? Uh, yeah, you don't want Argyle. Argyle is um, the guy who did Kingsman, Ma- Matthew Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Another like Kingsman style. Okay, my number three is going to be Ferrari. The Michael Mann. Okay. And I'm going to go with... The, the The problem with this one is it's not... I don't think it's going to get a theatrical release because this is Netflix. But if I'm trying to edge out your your Ferrari pick, I feel like I only have two options. And I'm just going to go with Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. The new Scorsese. And that's about, I feel like I read the book. Yeah, yeah, I recommended the book to you. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio, Scorsese. But see, that's not, that you can't possibly, that cannot possibly um, have any sort of box office impact. It's going to be in like two theaters. Well, depending on, because Netflix is in financial trouble, big time. And what 2022 showed is that streaming is not the answer. Putting Dune directly on HBO while they also did a theatrical thing was a disaster. And Netflix put Knives Out 2 in theaters for a week, and it did killer. So my thinking is... By this point in the year, Netflix is going to realize the need for theatrical. And um, Killers of the Flower Moon is going to get something. But also, I think it's going to be critically acclaimed, which is going to help me keep on, uh, you know, hold my spot. Mm-hmm. Okay, I do remember listening to it. You're listening to what? I listened to it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also just, and I don't know what I meant to do with this, but I made a list of games. Uh-huh. Out of this list, does anything pop out? I'm just interested. Like, are you interested in any of these games, or do you know what any of these games are? Uh, I mean, Alan Wake 2, it's being made by the same people, right? Yeah. I would, I'll would. i probably be playing that. I love the first one and the um, DLC. Me too. I talked to Indy about it, but I was like, Alan Wake is one of the few games that legitimately, like, yeah. I don't know that it scared me, but it consistently made me feel. It makes uneasy. you uncomfortable. It yeah, makes you uncomfortable. exactly. Um, so that I'm looking forward to. Uh, Diablo 4, I'm looking forward to if we, if it ends up being something that, like, we can play together. I really hope so. You know what I mean? I played Diablo 3 late. I had a bunch of fun, and I think as a multiplayer game, it definitely is something that would be new for for us to play. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, and along the same lines, Redfall, I don't have high hopes for, but it it falls into that category of, like, 
Um, what was the la- uh, Bound for Blood? Is that what it's called? And Evolve. And basically all of these co-op shooters that are in the vein of Left for Dead that have never been anywhere close to as good as Left for Dead. And I don't think... I played a ton of Left 4 Dead when it came out. I don't think we played that that together. No. I just played it online with random people, I guess. But So I would love a game. I would love Left 4 Dead to come out now so we could play it together with Chris and whoever else. But all of the games that have come out in that vein have been not good. Yeah. And I kind of expect the same thing for Redfall. But I would love for it to be good. Yeah, and some of these I don't even remember what the game is i didn't know they're making a robocop game yeah and that sounds like it'll be terrible <laughs> i'm sure i can't i can't imagine what a robocop game would be um do you what are your expectations for starfield i don't know like people are so down on bethesda and maybe it's because of fallout 76 which i played like 45 minutes of well, I don't think they did Fallout seventy six, did they? That was a third party. Oh, that, was, I that, that was a third, but they were behind, right there, like well. Well, yeah. Odd. I mean, the the mo with Bethesda is that the games are huge, but they're buggy. But they just play terribly, yeah. and the gameplay is not necessarily. It's just always about the potential and like, you know, the fact that like people are still playing Skyrim, however many years later. And it's big enough that it supports that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of always the potential with those games. See, I'm kind of like an optimist when it comes to this, where I'm just like, they have so many people working on this thing for so long Mm -hmm. that, I mean, it's not going to be terrible. And in terms of that, I played some Fallout 4 with Indy. It's super fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I loved Fallout 3. I don't know if I played 4, but Fallout 3 I played all the way through twice and then some. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. In <clears throat> Skyrim, I, I played all the way through. Mm-hmm. I beat Skyrim, showed Indy that. He had a good time for a little bit. Um, What's this Assassin's Creed game? Are you going to play that? You've played all the Assassin's Creed games, see, right? I have, and this is one that the Assassin's Creed people are saying is like, getting back to the to the roots Mm -hmm. like it seems like they are trying to address the this is too big of a world for no reason Mm -hmm. which is like absolutely true like the last game that i played there's just literally like side missions where it's like um i i don't know i lost my key help me find it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it feels like the npcs don't even know why they're there (laughs) right (laughs) like i don't know someone made me help me do something so if it's a more focused experience i'm for it but i also feel like assassin's creed i'd be totally okay if they're like you know what we've made enough games enjoy what we've made Mm -hmm. we're ready to do something i don't know that assassin's creed as a game style Mm -hmm. has much more to give yeah, it's it's interesting. It's turned into like an iterative, almost like a Madden game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or it's like, all right, it's twenty twenty three. Here's your new Assassin's Creed roster. It's just as why do you keep making these games? 
Um, same thing with like almost like with Call of Duty, but again, it makes sense with Call of Duty because it's like it's mainly multiplayer focused or whatever. Uh, have you ever played Resident Evil? I'm assuming this is a remake or whatever. Resident Evil Four. I loved Resident Evil Four. Now, okay. what I wanted to ask you, because Resident Evil Four is on here, and so is Dead Space. Mm-hmm. What's your feeling on these remake remasters? Are you interested in replaying these games? Or are you like, nah? I played the original. I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, I could see the Dead Space remake being worth it. I feel like Resident Evil 4 has been remade to death at this point. I also feel like I played Resident Evil 4 when it came out on the GameCube, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But I feel like the biggest um, the biggest thing going for Resident Evil 4 was that it kind of changed the way those games played. You know what I mean? Which was a huge deal when it came out. It does not matter anymore because exactly. there's better ways to play the games and the mechanics just don't hold up. And so, I mean, maybe if you're completely reworking how the game is played, I could see that, but I don't know. I don't know that that's the, that's the uh, thing with this game is, I don't think that it's a remake as much as, as it is like a remaster. Mm-hmm. I think they are changing the gameplay of it. Mm-hmm. It's like Final Fantasy VII, right? I think that's what they did. Mm-hmm. I didn't play it, but I think that that's what they did there. They didn't just remake the game. They kind of rebuilt it, you know, with the same spirit, but kind of almost made a different game mm-hmm. or a different version of it. So that's why I hear about Resident Evil 4. So I guess we'll see, but I'm I'm not as interested, I guess, in these remakes or remasters, but I'm excited to then force myself to play them this year just to see how I feel like, yeah. about it. Yeah, Dead Space for me is definitely like, I, I played it and beat it when it first came out. I haven't played it since, and that was however however long ago. I played one and two last year. Yeah, You, you finally got me to do that, and they were on Game Pass. And so I knocked them both out, mm-hmm. and they were phenomenal. So mm-hmm. I am kind of interested to see what they do. But if it's the same game, and maybe you'll be hurt by the fact that I played it so recently. Yeah. Yeah, then I don't really see what the point is. Anything else on here that sticks out to um, you? So for me, I mean, um, I don't know. I'm starting at the bottom. I don't know what some of these are. Uh, Tears of the Fallen Kingdom, the new Legend of Zelda, mm-hmm. seems cool. Stalker Two looked looked good. Um, Those Stalker games always look crazy, but they've always only been like PC games, so I've never gotten to play them. Mm. Well, this one's coming to Game Pass, and they're also in the middle of a war right now. That's what, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oxen Free Two, I'm super excited for. Yeah. I really like the like the first Oxen Free. Lies of P is the Pinocchio Dead Souls esque kind of game. <laughs> like Steam what? Pinocchio. Yeah. Okay. Um and that looks absolutely insane. I will not spend a dime on that game. Right. But if it's on Game Pass, I'm gonna I'm gonna play it. Absolutely. And I tried to limit these to ones that are not PlayStation exclusive. Mm-hmm. But I, I could be wrong. Um 
Don't know what Hyenas is. Hollow Knight Silk Song. I'm actually replaying Hollow Knight right now. Mm-hmm. Um, just as like to take place of my immortality. Like in the morning, I have to take my pill and mm-hmm. sit for like 30 minutes. And I've just been running Hollow Knight. And mm-hmm. it's so good. Um, so I'm super excited for Silk Song. Hades 2. I beat Hades 1. Mm-hmm. And people are kind of down. People are like, I don't know what else they have to offer. I'm like, it's super fun. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, yeah, it feels like it's probably going to be a reskin with new characters. Right. But it's a it's a super fun um, loop. Uh, the Avatar game. <laughs> yeah. I saw the movie. Did I tell uh-huh. you what so happened now you to, have to play the game after I watched the movie? He said he didn't like it. No. He went. We got home. He went to his room and turned off all the lights and sat in the dark <laughs> because he said his eyes were just like he needed so a sensory straight. deprivation tank. He needed, and I was like, "You, as the young kid, right. were overwhelmed <laughs> by Avatar. Like, what are you talking about?" I also didn't get the full experience because I had um, I had to run to the bathroom uh, mm. for about fifteen minutes, <laughs> uh, and Indy won't let me forget that. But um. Yeah, there, there's some good ones on here. Armored Core is the new um, FromSoft game. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that anybody cares about Armored Core games. I think it's just because it's FromSoft, even though I Ex- feel like that has to be a completely different team than who made the, the people the that make ones? Dark Souls or whatever. Elden, Elden Ring? Ring. Um, yeah, but I, I I don't know. I'm I'm one of those bandwagon people, I guess, where it's like I played Elden Ring. I absolutely loved it. I played some Dead Cells and never really beat any Dead Cells game. And yeah, um, I'll play Armored Core. And then some of these that I don't remember what they are, I do remember a few of them looked interesting, but I don't know what they are now. Okay. All right, so do you want to say or do or should I say it? So next week? Last of Us, right? Are you down right. for that? Yeah, next week we're going to start talking about Last of Us, which comes out on this Saturday. Or does not Sunday? Does, doesn't it come out at the end of the month? Are we sure it's no. this Sunday? Yeah, yeah, it's the fifteenth. Okay. The the one thing that I'll say is I don't know like, um, we don't really talk about our podcast <laughs> off the air, right? Uh, but I kind of want to play around with the approach that we did for White Lotus, which is like talk about other stuff and then talk about White Lotus. Sure. Whereas I think before we tried to kind of keep it mainly to whatever show we were watching. Mm-hmm. I think I want to incorporate more of like, what else are you playing? Are you watching? Yeah, that's fine. And with not me. just be like, let's just dive in deep to, to Last of Us. Do you know the story of Last Last of Us? Like, neither of us have played the game. Right. That's what I was going to say. I haven't played the game, obviously, but. I have given in to the like the lizard brain. Everyone's talking about Last of Us, so let me f- listen in on the discussions and watch some YouTube spoiler videos. With that being said, don't really remember anything about it. I mean, I, I, I know the big movements of the story, I think, but... I don't. Okay. I know it has to do with zombies, and I believe the... Well, I don't know if it's... A, I don't know. I know something about the girl, but that's it. Um, I had this thought that I think is useless. Um, but I was thinking about like in terms of utility for podcasting, 
I think the highest utility is no ads, mm-hmm. right? Like the scale of good podcasts is different. Um, you know, on the high end, it's like people who have specialized, you know, education, information about something, and then jump on a podcast to share it. That's not mm-hmm. us. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You could be that. You could have specialized, you know, information that you're sharing that's really useful as soon as you stop for an ad break i feel like you drop on the utility spectrum Mm -hmm. like just podcasts are made to be just talked straight through Mm -hmm. and then ended (laughs) and to not be broken up at any point yeah to say an ad right um all right so do you want to say it or, or me you're gonna have to say it because I don't know what you're you're going to say. Smell my fart. Oh, this is our new ending. So, that's <laughs> oh, it. Right. Yeah, Thanks okay. for listening. Uh huh. I love you. But he's gay. That's inappropriate. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. The N word. <laughs> yeah, we love you. Take care. Be safe. Yeah. We have to keep our country gay, Griffin.